one of the greatest things that you can do as a human being, we're beholden to each other. We are a sense of community. We are human beings. We need each other to live, to survive, to thrive. And so in order to build that community, we have to support each other. And in order to be a good leader, and I think this is one of those things that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes with being you know, out in the forefront and being a leader, we lose sight of the fact that leaders are there to help other people. You're listening to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, the only leadership podcast run by undergraduate students dedicated to helping undergraduate students lead in diverse fields. From people in diplomacy to entertainment, from CEOs to student leaders, we feature people from all walks of life. It's all part of the mission. Here at the Piscina Leadership Institute, we make leaders better. Hello and welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. My name is Kaida Jesus, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm talking to Jack Skitzes, Interna- Institutional Relations Manager at the Metropolitan Area Neighborhood Nutrition Alliance, aka MANA. She's a graduate student of Seton Hall, completing an undergrad in international relations at Ursinius College, and then completing a master's here in international relations and diplomacy. Her international work, however, started before even attending college, having worked with the Bosnia International Servant Trip to bring day camps to underprivileged children in Bosnia-Herzegovina. She has also worked with the Pro Bono Net as a development officer, some of her biggest accomplishments, including developing the refreshed website. Jax, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's no problem. I'm sure that we're going to have a great conversation today. From reading over your experience, I've noticed two motifs appear very, very early on. There's international work and working for others. Can you talk about where your interest in both of these started? Sure. I think they kind of go hand in hand for me. Growing up, My family was always very interested. My grandfather and my grandmother actually lived uh, abroad a number of times. And so my Nana would tell me stories about when they lived in Iran because my grandfather worked for Bell Atlantic Telephone and he was stationed over there to help build the infrastructure before Khomeini came in. So, and they lived in, they went to Morocco for a number of years. So my grandmother is very much the person who instilled in me this, this love of travel and foreign cultures from my own and just learning and living around different people. I just, I guess the, the serving others piece really does go hand in hand with that because the more you learn about what else is out there in the world, the more you realize that the world is so much bigger than just you and yours. And if we're going to make a world that works for everyone, we're going to have to have everyone's participation. And that means everyone has to have a voice at the table, which means everyone has to be supported in some way. And it just became obvious to me pretty early on that that was the direction I was going to take my life. Uh, my mom always instilled in us very much the, the focus on others and taking care of people and being there for other people and the importance of community. To the listeners not as... As knowledgeable at Seton Hall, one of the values is servant leadership. What does servant leadership mean to you? I think, to me, one of the greatest things that you can do as a human being, we're beholden to each other. We are a sense of community. We are human beings. We need each other to live, to survive, to thrive. And so in order to build that community, we have to support each other. And in order to be a good leader, and I think this is one of those things that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes with being, you know, out in the forefront and being a leader, 
we lose sight of the fact that leaders are there to help other people. What's the point of leading if it's not to support others and to move others forward? If you're going to be out in the front and lead the pack, it needs to be for the pack. And so for me, a lot of student leadership means that the fact that you are out there leading is because you care about other people and want to bring them along with that with you and support them in what they're doing. And that's kind of the leadership component of that has to be about other people and not just yourself. So you talk a lot about other people in terms of your philosophies. Do you think there's any specific moment that you could point to in which you discovered just like how deep this importance was? I think it's something that was always a part of who I am, part of my personality. I really enjoy watching others succeed. I feel very happy when I'm able to help someone. Just that sense of purpose comes to me when I feel like I've helped someone. And so that to me is a very selfish piece of that. But when somebody says thank you to me and really means it and really feels like I was supportive and helpful to them, it makes me feel good inside. But I think the moment I really realized its importance in a philosophical kind of way was when I decided to go to Bosnia for the first time. It was, I was actually at, I grew up in the Lutheran Church ELCA in New Jersey and we, there was a, a youth retreat And they put up a slideshow of the people going on this servant trip. It was run by the the Synod in New Jersey. And I was watching what they were doing and they were describing what the trip was. And I went home going, I want to do that. I just, I need to do that. This is what I need to do. So I came up with this whole explanation I was going to give my mom. I went through and did some research on like, I I asked about safety precautions and all these kinds of things. So I could have this conversation with my mom, even timed it right. So that she was at her most like less, least likely moment to say no. And as soon as I mentioned, so there was this Bosnia trip thing, my mom leaps up and is like, Oh my God, I saw that you have to do this. I knew you were going to love this. And it just, it very became clear to me in that moment that that philosophical concept of I need to help others as part of who I am became very clear that other people saw that in me too. This wasn't something that I just kind of sort of felt on the side. It was a core piece of my personality and who I was as a person and who I was to my community. So it, I think like that moment where I got all excited and and got to go and my mom showed me just how much other people also saw that piece in me. Okay, that's very interesting. And on the other hand, you mentioned that basically, like, you kind of grew up with this, like, it kind of was instilled in you at a very, very early age. But for those of us that kind of either don't know how to start, if they've even started, it seems very strange to ask, how do you start helping people or wanting to help people? How do you know when it's an intrinsic motivation? How do you start getting it to be an intrinsic motivation? Sure. I think... Everyone, to a degree, has this intrinsic sense of wanting to help somebody else. I mean, it doesn't, it it isn't necessarily always cultivated. And I think that's where we get it. But everybody has the capacity for empathy. Everybody has the capacity to look at someone who needs help and say, I can do that and go and help them. It's possible. The key thing, I think, is to not be intimidated 
there are lots and lots of little tiny things that you do every day that help your friends, that help your family, that help your partners, that help your fellow students. There are things that you do that are even so small as, yes, you can borrow my notes to study for a class, or yes, I have an extra pencil. Like it's that small, those tiny little things, and you just build on that. So maybe you had an extra pencil. Next time you show up to class with five extra pencils. Next time maybe you get involved in a student club or you find a nonprofit near you and you give them $5. Like it can be the tiniest, tiniest little thing and you just build slowly on top of that. I would caution that you don't necessarily want to go kind of feet first, whole hog in and get overwhelmed because there is so much out there that you can do that it can sometimes feel debilitating to see, oh, well, there's like 30 nonprofits who are all asking for volunteers. Who do I choose? Look at what they do, see which one kind of resonates with you and do something small, volunteer one day, volunteer for one thing and see how you feel. And if that feels right, continue doing it and kind of ramp it up. And if it doesn't, look, don't get discouraged. That particular one was not the right fit for you. That doesn't mean there isn't a right fit out there. It just means that one was not the one that resonated with you. So I think the key is to find something small, short, little bit that you can do and see how much it resonates with you and continue doing those little things until you find that thing that you can really be passionate about. That's a really interesting bit about choosing uh, nonprofits or different nonprofits to work for, or just like even help. Cause I did have a question on that. And that's, you've worked for a lot of different organizations, a lot of different causes. How do you choose those causes? For me, my focus has always been human rights. That is just the very basic, the very core to me as a, you know, us as a community, as a global community, we have to focus on our humanity. It's what drives me. And so what I look at is a number of different factors, including HR considerations, how much vacation time and pay and all of those things that you do when you're looking for a job. But I, when I look at a nonprofit, I look at their mission and I say, okay, how does this relate to what I care about? So for example, for Pro Bono Net, they build legal technologies and programs to help people access the law because in this country, you have a right to an attorney, but one is not provided for you unless it's a criminal case. If it is a civil law situation like a divorce or a domestic violence suit or anything like that, unless it's a criminal element to it, you are not guaranteed and given an attorney. And so there, especially for things like tenants' rights, if you are facing an eviction, chances are your landlord has a lawyer on their side and you don't. And that's a tip of the scale that puts people down, that can keep people from reaching their potential. And there's a lot of suffering there. And so when I chose Pro Bono Net, I specifically was looking at the fact that this organization existed to try and bring access to the rights that we already have guaranteed but aren't able to access, they're bringing access to people who need it most. And so that's what really resonated with me. And with MANA, we do medically tailored meals for people with serious illnesses. And my family has had their fair share of serious illnesses. And my family also has seen plenty of situations um, where, you know, 
you are facing something debilitating and you don't have the resources to get through it. And one of the things that MANA does is ensure that the people who are facing these terrible odds are provided what should be <laughs> medically provided through insurance and covered in insurance and things is not. And so we exist to ensure that people who are really going through these challenges are able to access the nutrition that they need to get well, which seems like such a simple thing. But with healthcare in this country being so difficult, healthcare is a human right. Healthcare is a basic human right that we should all have. And so MANA ensures that when you have a sickness, when you're ill, and you need, nutri you need nutritious food in order to heal that you are able to access that. And so it all very much comes down to people facing challenges and lack of access to things that we as a community have a responsibility to provide with each other. So you mentioned that it kind of comes down to human rights and human rights can be a very big topic. When you're working on one thing, do you ever feel guilty that you're not working on other things? All the time. <laughs> all the time. One of the things that I had to learn, and I was one of those world on my shoulders, I'm going to save the whole entire planet types of, of students. And it was overwhelming. And I ended up with some issues surrounding anxiety, some that even caused health problems down the line for me. And so what I had to learn to do was focus on what I can do, not what I can't do, not what I'm not doing, focus on what I'm capable of doing. Like I said, it's all about community. I'm not a silo. I'm not superwoman. I don't have to go out and save the entire world. I need to do my part and someone else will do their part and together we can make this work. But I can't be everywhere at once. I can't do everything all together. And it was something I had to learn, but you have to pick your battles. You have to find the thing that resonates with you and then move forward for that. So when it comes to finding a job position, sometimes it's also about what jobs are available, what's out in front of you, what opportunities are on your plate, and you have to find the opportunity that's in front of you that resonates the most with you because sometimes your dream job is not going to be handed to you on a silver platter immediately. <laughs> you have to find something that is both an available opportunity with, at least for me, with a mission that I can really get behind. I think what you brought up was kind of a strange dilemma, I guess, in your line of work because your dream job might be cause x but you might be working for cause y I, I guess like there's a lot of issues i guess what i see is that um you might resent issue y because you're not working on issue x you, you were stuck working with issue y and you're tired of seeing issue y and i guess for those people that are not working at the thing that they want to do especially when it deals with such high stakes as human rights how do you get through that if you ever like if you've ever dealt with that I think one of the things you have to bear in mind is I have pet projects. I very much want to, I mean, my dream job doesn't necessarily fit exactly what I was doing now. However, all of these missions that I do choose, the places I do choose to go, the missions I do choose to support, they're all ones that I think are important. So even if it's not the one that resonated with me the most out of my entire life, I have my entire life to go. I can always 
work on issue X. And even if I'm not being paid to work on issue X, I can go and find a place to volunteer if I really feel so strongly that I want to work for children's rights in post-conflict states. I can find a nonprofit that's doing that and I can volunteer with them or I can donate with them. And so even if like, I very much care very passionately about the missions that I've supported and of the organizations that I've worked for, even if they were not my initial expertise, the more I learn about them, the more passionate I get about them. And so I think part of it is just accepting the fact that as long as it resonates with you in some way and you know you're doing good, that's enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be something that you can enjoy doing and that you support and are passionate about. And if it's not, then maybe it's time to look for another job. If it's not really resonating with you, there are other options. And I know that it's easy to say that and much harder to actually find other options that are going to be jobs in the area that you want and actually get those jobs believe me, <laughs> I graduated undergrad from Ursinus in like 2009, which is the height of the recession. I did not get a full-time salaried position until after graduate school at Seton Hall, which I graduated in 2013 at Seton Hall. So it's many, many years of trying to find that job and just not being able to do it. So it's not always that easy, but I think you have to be optimistic because times will always change. Opportunities will always open. You just have to be open to what's the next best thing. If I can't do mission Y because there isn't an opportunity there for me right now, I can do mission X because I do care very much about mission X, even if it's not as much as this one. I don't have to resent it. I don't have to hate it because if I did, I wouldn't be working there in the first place. Since the resurgence of several social justice movements in the past like few years, basically, many people are bringing awareness to what people call activist burnout, where people lose their emotional energy to keep working towards good causes. I assume you deal with this in some capacity. How do you deal with it? So it is very much an issue. And I think for especially in my line of work, which is fundraising, it's even more so because we tend to have to be on the front lines of that a lot. We're contact, we're in the contact with donors and funders. And we also usually are the department where we don't know what to do with this thing that has to get done. So give it to development because they'll figure out how to do it. So we we tend to be a bit overworked and understaffed because we are also admin and fundraising staff, which is not usually eligible for funding through things like grants and a lot of donors, you know, you don't want the money that you're giving going to pay the person who's raising the money. You want it to go to the program that you're passionate about. So it's hard to get enough people in a lot of places to continue doing fundraising. So burnout is a very serious issue. The biggest thing you can do to try to manage, because you're never going to completely get rid of burnout. It's just a thing that we as a society right now, we, we place so much emphasis on productivity that burnout is a serious issue in every sector not just when you are serving others. I think the biggest thing that you can do is breathe. It's all going to be okay. It may not seem like it now. You have way too much on your plate. Breathe, take a deep breath, and then figure out a solution. So for me, a lot of that has meant making sure that I turn my, my work off at 5 p.m. Unless there's mitigating circumstances where there's like a deadline tomorrow and I'm really super behind, I don't check my work email after five. I am not 
100% accessible off hours. I'm not 24-7 at my job. I have very clearly delineated hours set for work, and then I'm done. When I take a vacation day, I do not check my work email. If there's an emergency, somebody will call me. Just making those, especially right now with a lot of people being remote and having to set those boundaries for yourself because you're now at home and so your home and your work life are blurring, the important thing is to set those boundaries because that's what's going to help push back against a lot of this burnout is to say, no, no, I can't get that done within a week. That's just not going to happen with this workload. So you can find solutions to go, okay, well, it's an external funder that wants this. You can't say no. All right, well, then what else on your plate is getting pushed back? Because you can't do it all. So you have to set those boundaries of what are you going to be able to do and what is too much. Now, when it comes to the emotional burnout, I think boundaries, again, is where you have to focus because you care so much that you just lose who you are, lose yourself and your sense of self-preservation because you're like, look how terrible things are over here. How dare I feel like I need to take a break? Because if I take a break, that's one per- that's an additional person I didn't help. The thing to think about there is that if you burn out, that's more damaging because you'll help even fewer people and fewer people and fewer people. If you, it's like um, in an airplane, you have to put face, you have to put the oxygen mask of your own face in order to be able to help put it onto other people's faces. You can't help somebody else with their oxygen mask if you're passed out because you don't have any oxygen. You have to take care of yourself and you have to set those boundaries so that way you can be there for the longer term. For the people that um, don't really have, because you work in this sort of human service work, not everyone that does human, like that wants to do human service work does it necessarily for a job and can really turn it off. What do you suggest for people who just do it in their spare time in terms of burnout? I still think boundary is the answer here. If you're volunteering with an organization, you're volunteering. You are providing your free time to them and they very much appreciate and respect it, believe me. But sometimes they get carried away with, you know, oh, well, we'll just get so-and-so to do it because they volunteer for everything. You can say no. You're not going to insult them by saying, no, that's too much. Or I can't make that Saturday, but maybe the following. You know, there's other, there are boundaries at every level that you have to set for yourself. So that way you don't accidentally get taken advantage of. It's not malicious. It's simply, there's so much work to do and they're trying to deviate it up by whoever will do it. And so if you're available, they're going to ask. You can always say no. I think the other thing to bear in mind is that change takes a long time. You might help this individual person, but systemically, it's going to take time. You're not going to solve all the world's problems by volunteering every single Saturday for six months. It's not going to happen. So take your time. Find what really resonates with you, take your time, set your boundaries, and get ready to buckle down and be there for the long haul. So I've been talking about young leaders and what they can do, and you have been working for several years to do the work that you're doing now, and you've been working since you were young. What do you suggest for people that want to do, young people that want to do social work that have limited resources around them? How do you suggest that they get into it if they say that they live in a rural area and they don't really have a car or... They just, they just have limited resources like this. Right now, 
with everything being remote, it's actually a great time if you have internet access at all to get involved somewhere, even if it's simply jumping on a Zoom call with somebody and sharing your knowledge or expertise. If it's writing thank you letters for donors, if you can't be the donor, offer to write a thank you letter to the people who can be donors, you know, things like that. So I think once you talk to the nonprofit or talk to the organization that you want to work with, they'll find ways for you to get involved. You just let them know what your limitations are, like certain hours that you can work or certain types of things you can't do. I don't drive. I don't have a car. I don't even have a license. I can't drive. Um, And I found ways to get involved places partially through public transit. But if you're in a more rural area and public transit isn't available to you, we live in a global world very much because of the internet. And so there is a very direct resource that you can use to access the rest of the world, even if you can't physically get to those other locations. Another thing to think about is that this is a longer term thing. So if you can't volunteer your time right now, that's okay. You don't have to. If you're in school and you are really working hard, you don't have to also be involved in a million other things. If you want to be, by all means, you don't have to be. And so one of the things that I had to come to grips with both in undergrad and in grad school is that I had to actually take a step back while I was in school and focus on school or else I wasn't going to get the grades that I was hoping for. And I wasn't going to get the education that I wanted. I had to, at that point, I had to put my own oxygen mask on. (laughs) I had to go back and pay attention to class and do what I needed to do and make the friends that I needed to make to make sure that I was mentally healthy as well. And then when I left, I was able to then get involved in other things. For people that don't even know, like have little, just like knowledge about who to volunteer for, where to volunteer, do you know about any resources that could possibly bring people to the causes that they love? Sure. So if you aren't sure what kinds of causes that you care about right now, that might be a little tricky because it's such a wide net. However, there are places you can go to find volunteer opportunities. Idealist.org has both, uh, it's, a, it's a job search site, but they also allow places to put volunteer opportunities out. If you are already in the workforce or you have some expertise that is going to go above and beyond general usual volunteer work. So if you are, say, a marketing student and you really want to help with brand design for a nonprofit you, they always need graphic designers. If you're a graphic designer, please, if you have the the time, we would very much appreciate graphic designers getting involved with nonprofits. You can go to Catch a Fire, which is a, it is specifically designed as a database to connect professionals with places to volunteer their skills. And marketing communications and graphic design are the most requested volunteer opportunities on there. So very much recommend checking that out. And then the other thing you can do is ask the people around you what they're doing. If you know that somebody is working with a nonprofit, try it out. See if they can get you started. If you know what cause that you care about, Google that cause and other nonprofits will come up. They will. Everybody's got Google. <laughs> like everybody's got their their Google tags on. They will come up. Sometimes you want to do your homework though when you're going to volunteer with a nonprofit. 
read their website, find out what their volunteer opportunities look like. It's not as simple as like, oh, I managed to get on your website and click a button and now I'm your best volunteer. <laughs> you have to make sure that the organization also aligns with what you're doing. So it's not just the mission, but it's also the actions. So for example, you can have someone who very much cares about helping people with autism, but you may not agree with the way that autism speaks as an organization functions. And so even though technically it's the same mission, the way they're going about it may not be something that is comfortable for you or something that you agree with. So definitely do your research before you actually go and volunteer your time or your resources. It's easier than you think to do that research. It's all over the websites. It's all over the internet. And you can always go to your friends, your family, and your professors and ask them to vet something or ask them if they think this sounds okay. People are around and people want to encourage you. So take advantage of it. So I guess in your line of work or just like a, a thing that you often hear these days is that the world, it's basically over. There's nothing we can do to fix it. And that must be really, really rough to hear. How do you get past all that pessimism? In the 60s, students in school were being taught to hide under their desks so that if a nuclear blast went off, they would be okay knowing full well they would not be okay. <laughs> like We thought the end of the world was coming over and over and over again. And it is pretty dire right now, I'm not going to lie. And I do feel that nihilism the same way everybody else does, especially with COVID and with everything going on literally globally. It can be really, really discouraging, but the people in power now are not gonna be in power forever. The way that everything is moving right now is not the way it's going to move forever. And one of the other things that I take really good stock in is look at where we've come to where we are. So while everybody seems to be, everything seems to be chaos at the same time, you have people who 10 years ago wouldn't feel comfortable coming out of the word work to be like, I'm non-binary, I'm not female or male. And it was a struggle. It was a fight. 10 years ago. It's still a struggle and a fight today, but there's resources now. And there'll be more resources in the future. And someday we will get to the point where everybody gives their pronouns every time they meet anybody, because that's just the thing you do to make sure that we're inclusive to everyone. So while other things might be being really chaotic, there's also a lot of really good progress that's being made. It's just, it's facing that backlash. Anytime progress is made, you get an extreme backlash from people who are scared and people who don't understand and people who aren't ready for that progress. That's the ebb and flow of history. And it's simply that we live in a world where we see so much more of this, that it's right in our faces, that it's constantly bombarding us. That is the difference. It's not that the world didn't feel like it was coming to an end before, because it, to some people it did. It's a lot of just right now, you, it's hard to, to turn that off. And so one thing I do recommend is to take a little bit of a break from social media at least once a week, take a bath, watch a movie, go out with your friends, take a walk. It doesn't matter what, just turn it all off and do something that has nothing to do with what's going on in the world because that's going to help you 
calm your nervous system down so that you can be ready for the next challenge. But you can't be ready for that challenge if you haven't taken the time to let your own body heal and be ready. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I Great conversation. I've learned a lot from talking to you. I do have two final questions, and that is, what thought leaders do you follow in the news or on social media? And what books, podcasts, or other media do you suggest to leaders in the similar fields that you are in, or just like in general? So I think for me, as far as leaders go, it's less about the individual people and it's more about the organizations doing good work. So uh, I always follow, um, I get a lot of my news from NPR and things like that, listening to podcasts like Code Switch. So definitely some of the, the media on that end. I think also look at things like the ACLU. They're doing really good work in a lot of places. Um, immigration equality is also doing a, a lot of really good work. I actually interned there a number of years ago, so I'm always following what they're doing. I'm a podcast collector, so there's quite a lot of them. Uh, the majority for me are either some sort of fiction or fantasy or you know something that has nothing to do with the real world that helps me unwind. And then as far as a lot of the other ones, I'd say there's a lot of new podcasts out now that help to offer a different perspective. So one thing that I've been listening to a lot is an indigenous podcast called All My Relations. And it just, it comes from a culture and a world that I was not introduced to the level that I would like to. A lot of the way that we look at indigenous people in our country is through the lens of history, but that's not accurate because it's not just history. It's now they're here. They're part of our culture um, and their ways continue on. It's not something that just happened hundreds of years ago. And so I've really enjoyed that podcast very much a lot. Um, like I said, things like Code Switch are really helpful. They have a lot of different topics that help kind of bring additional perspective in a way that is accessible uh, to a lot of different people. On behalf of everyone at the Pasita Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank the podcast team, 89.5 FM WSOU, for allowing us to use their facilities, and you for listening. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership, on Instagram at Pasita Leaders, and on Twitter at SHU Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.